experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, happy 2021. My first prediction of the year, this one will be better than the last. I struggled to stay up on New Year's Eve, but I wanted to make sure that I did. Not so much to see 2021 roll in, but to make sure 2020 got out. Anyway, I hope it's off to a good start for you. This morning, I woke up and after my morning coffee, I fired up the computer, turned on the, the TV to the financial news network, and all it seemed like all I heard about or read about, other than the Georgia Senate races, was SPAC this, SPAC that, SPAC, SPAC, SPAC. That's the newest craze. You know, Tesla is so 2020. No, you have to get on the SPAC train. That's what the cool kids are doing now. That's according to the financial media. and. They're probably right. It's tough to argue with what's working for now. This is actually something I've been watching for a while. SPACs are seemingly uh, a new thing, but they really aren't. They've been around for a while. I remember back in 2000 and uh, the firm I was working with brought a few of these deals public. And at the time, I was very skeptical. And I still am. If you haven't heard of them before, SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And what happens is this, a group called the founders. Well, they go to the market and they say, hey, you know what? We're really good at buying companies. So give us some cash and we'll go do a killer deal for you. If the investors agree with the founders, the investors buy into the IPO. And then they're given units in the SPAC. I say units, but you could think of them as shares. So they're given units in the SPAC. Units are generally priced at $10 a unit. And each unit consists of one normal share of stock and one warrant, which is a long-term option. Anyhow, that warrant is exercisable at $11.5 a share. Now, I'm just talking generalities here, hypotheticals. So keep that in mind when I'm putting out these numbers. Just want to give you an idea of what they are. So the SPAC takes all the money it raises in the IPO and it puts it into a trust account. And then the founders, they go out and they start looking for a company to buy. And once they find one and strike a deal, the founders go to the their investors, their unit holders, and say, look, look at this deal. It's such a good deal. Vote for it. Well, the unit holders can then vote to approve the deal, or they can redeem their stock and get their cash back, plus, you know, whatever little interest it's earned while sitting in that trust account. If enough unit holders vote for the deal, then the deal goes through and the SPAC changes its name to whatever company they bought. And the company has effectively completed an IPO and becomes a normally publicly traded company. It sounds pretty simple, right? Well, the bull case here is pretty simple. As an investor, buying a SPAC unit is free optionality, meaning if you like the deal, you vote to approve it. 
If you don't like the deal, well, then you can just either redeem your stock and get your money back. Or if the market likes the deal, you can just sell your stock because it's probably trading for more than what you put in, right? Actually, works out a little bit better than that. So because when you redeem your stock, you're giving your cash back, but you get to keep the warrant. If enough shareholders vote against the deal, well, the warrant would be worthless, right? But if other shareholders approve the deal, you got all your cash back plus a little interest and effectively gotten the warrant for free. You've got this option for free. So I get investing in pre-deal SPACs. In fact, it might be a pretty good strategy. You know, you get a free look and, you know, if the warrant is worth something, well, you know, like I said, might be an interesting strategy for those of you who are more sophisticated in investing, more experienced, I should say. So that's not what perplexes me about SPACs. What perplexes me is how many of them are trading at the premiums to the cash value and how enthusiastic the market has become for any SPAC deal that announces. A SPAC is really, really expensive for an investor who holds through the deal. Remember, nothing in life is free. And the founders of the SPAC certainly aren't working for free. They're not doing it out of the generosity of their heart. In general, founders of a SPAC will deposit, I don't know, say 5% of what they're looking to raise into a trust account in exchange for founder shares. They get founder shares in the SPAC. This money that they deposit is used to cover the SPAC's cost while they're trying to find a deal in an event that the SPAC is unsuccessful. This is the money that'll be used to pay the bankers if they can't get a deal done. So, for example, I know that was a little complicated. For example, say I'm raising $200 million in a SPAC. In general, as, a, as the founder, I'll put $5 million into the SPAC and get my founder shares. In the event that my SPAC can't successfully find, the, find a deal, that $5 million that I put in is going to cover any legal expenses for the deals and it's going to pay the bankers for helping me raise all that money, right? So that's my risk capital I'm putting in. Now, here's the expensive part for the investors. For putting up the $5 million of a $200 million deal, the founders get 20%, get a 20% equity stake in the form of the founder's shares. Or you can just think of it as $40 million worth of shares of a $200 million deal. So right off the bat, shareholders are massively diluted. And that's before anything happens. Now, for the deal part of it, the founders have capital in their founder shares. Now it's time for them to get to work and find a company they want to buy because they keep telling us it's going to be a great deal. A couple of things here. Most acquisitions end up destroying value, not creating it. And here's why. When you're buying a company, you're buying it because you were the highest bidder. Try turning around and selling it the next day. You're probably not going to get what you pay for it. So most acquisitions don't create value. A good, a good acquisition does create value if it has synergies and cost savings like 
two companies in the same business getting together to reduce their overall cost. Okay, well, you know, you can see how that might work. But a SPAC, well, a SPAC company is just a boatload of cash. There are no synergies to be had by buying another company. So after the shareholders are diluted and they go out and buy a company, most likely at top dollar, well, if you hold a SPAC through the deal as an investor, you're basically paying 20% more than the highest price for that acquisition. The SPAC was the highest bidder to buy the company, and you're paying 20% more than the high price because the founders get 20% of the equity on the completed deal. Follow me? Well, doesn't that sound great so far, right? It actually even gets worse. Remember, the founders are going to lose millions of dollars if they can't get a deal through their SPAC. And that means that they're eventually incentivized to do a deal at any price. Most SPACs have a 12 to 24 month lifespan. If they don't get a deal through in that time frame, well, then they have to give all the money back. Imagine if you're one of these founders and your SPAC has two months left uh, of life. You hear about uh, companies that's out for auction and bids are kind of due this Friday. You think the company's worth $100 million. Well, what are you going to bid? Well, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to bid a lot higher than the $100 million that you think it's worth because you need to win this deal. So you can at least bring your investors something and have a chance at earning your founder's shares. So there are a lot of red flags here for investors. Hopefully, I didn't confuse you. In my opinion, a lot of red flags. You have investors falling all over themselves to invest in an asset class with a history of failure, I might add, that combines buying assets at top dollar with a management team that's incentivized to get a deal done at any price. In the near term, they'll probably continue to do well because investors' appetite for them. People want them. Who wouldn't want a big name investor giving you the opportunity to go out and do a deal for you, right? You want to invest alongside some of the best. If Elon Musk does a SPAC, raises money and buys an electric scooter company he started, chances are it's going to the moon on SpaceX. Maybe Mark Cuban or Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, maybe they do deals. Investors probably will have the appetite for it and at least judging from the amount of deals that have been done so far, or I should say last year, 82 mil, bill, excuse me, $82 billion worth of deals were done last year. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Like I said, in the near term, they'll probably do well. But at some point, after their public companies, valuations will matter. And a lot of these deals won't look so great. Don't forget, this year, I'm doing uh, the show every other week, and next week, I'll be hosting my annual Outlook. That'll be Wednesday the 13th at noon, and that's where I'll give you my take on the economy and where we might be headed in 2021 and beyond, and I'm going to be spending some time talking about my favorite stocks for this year. I'm going to be talking about at least one, at, at least one that I'm buying 
and I won't be talking about it on the podcast. So you'll only hear it during that webinar. If you're interested, you can register at our website, which is xmlfg.com. Just go to the resources tab and then you'll see it under upcoming events and webinars. If you have any questions, you can email me at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Or if it's easier, just give us a call. The number is 571-261-7670. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. I got a lot of work to get done for next week's Outlook. I'll be back in two weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. show now it's time for the really good stuff so listen up it's the disclosures the things i talk about during the show well they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the xml financial group i typically own and trade the securities i'm discussing both personally and for my clients but not all of them likewise employees of xml and our affiliate broker dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.